You are listening to the Catholic Thinkers Podcast, a free treasury of instruction in the Catholic intellectual tradition. If you enjoy this lecture, please visit us at catholicthinkers.org forward slash donate. This course is from our International Catholic University Classics Collection, originally recorded between 1995 and 2005. Welcome to our ninth lecture on the Holy Trinity. In the last talk, we went over the origin of the Holy Spirit proceeding by an act of will, an act of love from the Father and the Son. In today's talk, we want to move into other material about the nature of the three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So we're going to speak about these internal divine relations that are in God, kind of like final way that we have in theology of explaining what do we mean by the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So we believe in our Catholic faith that there are three persons in one God, as we've seen, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And it's important to recall that there's only one God and that God is absolutely simple, as we saw previously. Simplicity means that there's no composition and no parts in God. When you have composition, you have limitation, you have potentiality. There's no potentiality, there's no limitation in God, so God is defined as absolutely simple. An automobile is composed of parts. We say the word house. House is composed of hundreds and thousands of parts. But my idea of an automobile and my idea of a house, expressed by one word, is simple. It's the difference between something on the spiritual level and something on the material level. So now, if it's true that God is absolutely simple, and by that we mean there's no composition in God, God's not composed of essence and existence. For example, as the scholastics would say about every created thing, it has an essence and existence. God's essence is to exist. There's no composition whatsoever in God. Having no parts or principles or elements whatsoever, then how can there be three persons in him? If he's absolutely simple and absolutely one, how is it possible that there can be three persons in God? This is a very serious theological question. It's denied by the Jews. It's denied by the Muslims and almost every other religion. They do not grant that there's a multiplicity of persons in God. They all assume there's only one person in God, like God the Father. How can there be three persons in God? How can God be three and one at the same time and still be absolutely simple? Does not the Christian doctrine of the Trinity then involve a contradiction? That's the problem that we want to take up in this talk and also in the next one, number 10. Now, obviously, three is not one and one is not three. We're talking about discrete individual things, three individuals, three blocks of wood, three automobiles. The only way we can get out of this seeming contradiction of three persons and one God is by showing that three is meant in one way and one in another. This is like traditional Thomism 
and Catholic philosophy and theology is when you're confronted with an apparent contradiction, you have to make a distinction. That we're talking about three in one sense and one in a different sense. We're not saying three in one in the same sense. That would be a contradiction. So that's exactly what the fathers and theologians did many centuries ago, going back to the fourth and fifth century. By reflecting carefully on the Holy Scriptures and employing the most advanced philosophical concepts, those fathers of the church came to the conclusion that the three in God are persons and that the one in God is the divine essence or the divine nature or substance. So we're not saying the three divine substances. There's only one divine substance. We're saying there are three persons in one divine substance. Now at this point, the theologian must be able to show that the three persons in one God, while retaining their distinctness in the divinity, are not three separate entities, not three separate individuals who only have a moral unity. For if they were separate individuals, like three human beings, like John and Mary and Joe, then we would have a multiplicity of beings in the Godhead. And there would be more than one God. There would be, in fact, three gods. Inevitably, we must ask, what constitutes the three persons? And the only suitable answer to this most difficult question is that they are relations within the divinity of the Godhead. They are relations within the divinity and in the Godhead. Because, as we're going to see, relation is the one category that can characterize person that does not imply any perfection in that individual that the others do not have that would make him different from them in being or a different substance. Now we all know what a relation is, but very few of us are able to explain it because it is one of the most difficult realities to grasp. This is one of the most difficult things in the study of philosophy to get a handle on is what you mean by a relation. What is a relation? We know what it is, but it's so basic, it's difficult to explain it. It's similar to, we know what time is. We experience it every day, constantly we live in time, but to explain what time is, is not easy. So for example, members of a family are related. Husband, wife, father, son, daughter, mother, son, daughter, and so forth. There is a real relation between a father and a son. The father is related to the son by reason of generating him. And the son is related to his father because he was generated by him. We all have a father and a mother. And we have a relationship to them because we were generated by them. So we define a relation as an ordination or a reference of one thing to another. It's a reference of the father to the son and the son to the father. That's what a relationship is. It's a reference to something else. And in every real relation, there are three elements. First of all, the subject, that's the father. Secondly, the term, 
What is he related to? That's the sun. And the basis of the relation, which is the activity of generating. So there's the subject, there's the term, and there's the foundation or the basis of the reference from father to son and son to father. So the essence then of the relation consists in being ordered to another. That's what a relationship is, being ordered to another. Please note that a relation always exists in something else. It is not a new, separate individual. John and Jane get married and have a son. At the birth of their son, they are now called father and mother. And why is that? Because a new relationship has entered into their lives that has changed their lives by reason of having a son. But they're still John and Jane. Now they can be referred to as father and mother, which they could not be referred to before. That's just an analogy. Something similar to that takes place then in God. The two internal divine processions that we spoke about of the Son and the Holy Spirit establish in God two pairs of real mutual relationships. Accordingly, there exist in God four real relations. Now, what are they? They are the Father to the Son, just like in human beings, the Son to the Father. Then you have the relationship of the Father and Son to the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit back to the Father and the Son. So that gives us two pairs of mutual relations, so you have four real relations in God. Now, the teaching of the Bible concerning the divine relations is found in the personal names, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This terminology of relations is not explicitly in the Bible. It's just like the word consubstantiality is not in the Bible. The word trinity is not in the Bible. These are theological elaborations from the human mind of the fathers of the church, the saints, the popes, the councils, reflecting on revelation. And we said that theology is faith-seeking understanding. This is an attempt to understand as best we can what is meant when Jesus speaks about his Father and about the Holy Spirit and about himself as the Son, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This doctrine was developed by the fathers of the church, especially by St. Basil, the two Gregories, Gregory of Nyssa, Gregory Nazianzus, and also St. Augustine. St. Gregory Nazianzen said, and I quote, Father is not the name of the essence or activity, but indicates the relation the Father has to the Son and the Son to the Father. And somewhere else, one of the fathers says, everybody knows that the names of the persons of the Trinity are relations. When Jesus addresses God as my Father, he has a relationship to him, and refers to himself as the Son, that's a relationship. The official teaching of the Church embodies this doctrine of the relations. It was taught by the 11th Synod of Toledo in Spain in the year 675, and was defined by the Council of Florence in 1442. Thus, the personal names in the Trinity are relative, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. 
from a proper understanding of revelation and its development in the tradition, it follows that the mutual relations in God are not just logical, which means they're not just mental. They're not just in our minds. Rather, they are real relations in God which exist independently of our thinking about them. When John and Jane generate a son, Joseph, they have a real relationship to Joseph, and Joseph has a real relationship to them. It's not just something in our minds. We can call them now father and mother because of the real relationship that exists between them and their son, Joseph. Otherwise, the trinity of persons would be just different names that we give to God, and that is condemned in the heresy of Sabellianism. The whole point of the Sabellian heresy was they said there's only one person in God, we just change the name, we call him now Father, now Son, now Holy Spirit. It's only, according to Sibelius, it's only a mental relationship. It's a logical relationship, not a real relationship. What the church says is that in God there's a real relationship between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Since there's only one God, and that God is absolutely simple, it must follow that the difference between the three persons cannot be based on the divine essence, which is common to all three. So it must be based on the mutual relations of the persons to one another, something that distinguishes them from one another. As far as the substance of God is concerned, they are all God in the same sense. They're all co-equal in majesty and power and eternity and omnipotence and so forth. So it's not because of the substance of God that they're distinct, but because of the relationships that makes them distinct, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, of the four real internal divine relations, that is, Father to Son, Son to Father, Father and Son to the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit to Father and Son, three of them stand in opposition to one another and therefore are really distinct. That is, fatherhood, sonship, and what's called passive spiration. That's the Holy Spirit. So if there are four real relations, but only three of them are really distinct because there's an opposition between them. That's why we have only three persons in God instead of four, because the active power of spiration of the love between the Father and the Son is identified with the Father and the Son. There's no opposition there. So we have three persons in God, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, not four. So as we say, there are four real relations, but only three distinct persons, because the active spiration of producing the Holy Spirit is only what's called virtually distinguished from the fatherhood and the sonship. It's basically identified with the fatherhood and the sonship. The active spiration then stands in opposition to passive spiration only. It is not opposed to fatherhood and sonship, as I just said, and therefore is not really distinct from them. So the active spiration is not really distinct from the fatherhood and the sonship. So we have three really distinct relations, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And these three really distinct relations in God constitute the three persons. So as far as you can go in asking these kinds of questions about the Trinity, and you say, well, what are the persons? The answer is the persons are 
real relations. They're subsistent relations in the divine essence, mutually opposed. So that's the only place you have multiplicity in the simplicity of God is in the area of relationship. It is very important to remember that the relations in God which constitute the persons are really identical with the divine nature. We don't separate these three relations from the divine nature. They're all identified with the divine nature. As we say, God's absolutely simple. So the three relations are identified with the divine nature. If we try to distinguish them or separate them from the divine nature, we'd have four gods. We'd have the divine substance, and then we'd have the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The church said, no, no, that's a no-no. We don't do that. We don't distinguish, don't separate the three relations from the divine substance. They are identified with the divine substance. They're the results of the activity in the divine substance of thinking and willing. Whatever is in God is God. So whatever is in God is God, and God is absolutely one. He's absolutely simple. The only difference in God is in the opposition of relations. Thus, the Council of Florence in 1442 officially defined that in God, quote, everything is one where there is no distinction by relative opposition. So everything is one where there is no distinction by relative opposition. So where you have relative opposition between Father and Son and Son and Father, and Father and Son and the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit back to the Father and Son, there there's multiplicity. That's in the area of relations. But those relations do not say any kind of substantial perfection that would distinguish those persons from the divine substance, nor would they give something to any one of the three that the others do not have in the order of perfection and reality. So what we're saying here then is that in God, there are real relations of origin internally. And they all go back to this notion of the processions, the activities of thinking and willing, which are characteristic of every spiritual being. In us, these things are all accidental, but in God, they are substantial because they're all identified with the divine essence. So this idea that there are real relations of origin internally follows logically from the two processions which we already considered, that is the generation of the Son and the spiration of the Holy Spirit. For origin or production cannot be conceived without the concept of relation. Anytime a cause produces an effect, or one thing produces something else, there's a relationship between them. It's like the father generating a son. Of course, this is not a cause and effect activity inside of God. It's a procession by reason of the divine activity of thinking and willing. And without relations between the producer and the product, you have to have that anytime you have something that produces something else. So the question arises whether these relative concepts imply some reality in God, which is signified by the name of relation. They do indicate some reality in God. They're real relations. They're not just something that we make up. They're not just logical. But they do not imply anything on the substantial level that would separate any of the three persons from the divine substance or divine existence. So in the concrete order, Aristotle, who's one of the first Greeks to reflect on this notion of what's the nature of a relation, he said that related beings are defined 
as those whose existence is to be referred to another. That's the reference to another. The Latins call that esseod, to be towards something else, and to something that's different from the related subject. So we have the expression from Aristotle that related things as such are known simultaneously. When you know that somebody is a father, then you know simultaneously that that individual has progeny, either a daughter or a son. They're known simultaneously. So the notion of relationship in the abstract is a form which constitutes relative beings as such and is usually defined as the order or reference of one thing to another. It's the order or reference of one thing to another. The father has a reference to the son, the son has a reference to the father, the father and son to the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit to the father and the son. So the three basics, as we said previously, of the relationship are the subject, that's the father, the term, the son, and the basis, the foundation for the relationship, which is the thinking of the father, or the willing and loving on the part of the father and son with reference to the Holy Spirit. Most relationships, although not all, are mutual. That is, father to son and son to father. And that's what we have in the divine relations in God. They're mutual relations of the father to the son, the son to the father, father and son to the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit to the father and the son. And in relations, then we distinguish between the reality that causes it and the reference. And the Latins would say we make a distinction between the essay in, the reality, and the essay odd, which is the reference. So in God, the essay in, that's the divine substance, but the essay odd, the reference to it, has to do to the persons, to the individuals. For a relation is thought of as a form that inheres in a subject. Before John and Jane generated Joseph, they didn't have this characteristic of being father and mother. But once they've generated a child, it's thought of as a form that adheres in them. So now John is referred to as father and Jane as mother because of this accidental form that adheres in them of having generated a son, Joseph. The fact that it refers to another in some way is added to a subject, as it were, accidentally. Thus, the being of a relation is that it adheres in a subject and in this relation agrees with other accidents, and so it has been called the reality, or the essay, and that would be the act of generation on the part of John and Jane who generate their son Joseph. So the concept of relation, which distinguishes it from the other accidents, like quantity, quality, action, passion, time, place, and things like that, is that it refers to a term or to some other thing, and in this aspect, it is called the reference. So that's the idea of the essay odd. They're referred to something else. So the first person is called father because he's referred to the son. And the son is called son because he's referred to the father. So the reality, that is the essay in, and the reference, which the Latins call the essay odd, are not two distinct things, but only two aspects of one and the same related reality the related entity, like the father related to his son and the son related to the father. Now it's clear that there are real relations in created things, like in parents, cause and effect, 
or relations that are independent of our thinking about them. In reality, and not just from the mind's consideration, things are similar to each other, effects take their origin from a cause and depend on it. Therefore, relations of similitude and origin are real. If somebody builds a boat, he has a relationship to that boat. He's the one that designed it. He's the one that built it. There's the cause and effect relationship. But a real relation implies necessarily from its very concept that the term be really distinct from the subject. When you have a relationship, the son is really distinct from the father, since a relation is the reference of one thing to another. This necessity is called relative opposition. There's relative opposition between father and son, mother and daughter. And that's crucial in the teaching of the church with regard to the relationships inside the Divine Trinity where the church says in the Council of Florence in a very important decision that in God everything is one except where there's an opposition of relationship. And there is an opposition of relationship. There's three of those levels of the Father to the Son, the Son to the Father, and the Father and Son to the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit to Father and Son. So as a result of those four relations, three of them which are really distinct, we have the three persons in God. So if somebody says, you know, what are the three persons in God, the farthest you can go philosophically and theologically in answering that question is to say that they are relations. We're going to go on to point out that they're what's called subsistent relations, because they are identified with the divine substance. All three of them are identified with the divine substance. There's only one thinking, one willing, one essence in God. But there is a mutual opposition between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit that is part of God, and this is part of the great mystery of this for us to grasp. This is in no way completely explaining the Trinity. You see, you may be very confused about this business of relationship because the relations are extremely hard to understand, even on the natural level, it's difficult. But when we take the relations and apply them to God, it's even more difficult. So it's only those few great minds, like Augustine and Basil and the two Gregories and St. Ambrose, these great minds in the 4th, 5th century are the ones reflecting on Scripture who came up with this as a way of explaining that you can have three persons in one God without contradicting yourself. You're not saying that there are three gods that are one God or anything like that. But there's only one God in essence, but three in persons, and those three persons are distinct. They are relations. So that's basically to wrap up the church's teaching with regard to what the three persons are, that the answer is that they are relations. We hope you enjoyed listening to Catholic Thinkers. Please visit us at catholicthinkers.org forward slash donate to help us keep this content free.